0: welcome back to all rings considered we're on episode 55 looking at book six chapter two the land of shadow wow wow books si- i mean we just want to say this every chapter book six uh <laughs> we should maybe <laughs> calm down uh, but i mean we are within the last 10 episodes yeah it's scary to think about um there's gonna end up being you know 63 64 episodes of the series and we're close Summarize this chapter real quick for you. It's really a sort of an episodic chapter. There's actually like little vignettes, almost. Mm-hmm. First, Frodo and Sam escape the Nazgul that was descending on Ungol right at the end of last chapter. They basically just jump off the road, fall into a ditch. Um, there's other orcs marching up, and they really just, like, they gotta get off. And they get off the road, fall into a bunch of brambles, actually, and thorns and things. So that's pretty neat, I guess. <laughs> um, other episodes in this chapter include sam sort of encountering Gollum and like or feeling his presence or hearing him and seeing him briefly i mean so he knows Gollums around um frodo and sam are constantly worried about water that's the big concern in mordor they Mm -hmm. do have limba spread but they don't have water and that's always what they're trying to look for and they do find some they end up getting mistaken for orcs at one point they're on a road and they can't get off the road before orcs are going to march in so they end up getting mistaken brought into the march and end up getting out of that because the orcs get to a fork in the road, and one group of orcs needs to pass the other group, and they, of course, can't agree on that. They can't do this orderly, so they fight, and so that lets Frodo and Sam sort of uh, get out of there. And that's it for the big events, then, of the chapter. There's sort of, like I said, vignettes, almost. They're, there's not much, like, connecting them in way of sort of a big narrative thread through the chapter. Uh, the chapter is just called The Land of Shadow, and that's because I really think that sort of real character in the chapter is mordor itself mm-hmm, the, the darkness i love there's this scene where they talk about when it's mordor dark again right right they have to distinguish mm-hmm. between mordor dark and regular dark because so it's like regular dark in the day and it's mordor dark at night so it's just incredibly dark uh it's interesting seeing the sort of like oppressive atmosphere of mordor and the very scary sheer numbers of orcs and even soldiers men soldiers that are in mordor they camped out and sort of the scope of it and the scale of its really intense Mount Doom, of course, is always there in the background. Though In this chapter, it seems to be sort of dormant, but it still looks very threatening.
1: Yeah, Mordor has this perfect description where it's enough to give you um, these bits of terror, but it's vague enough still so that your imagination can kind of run wild in the dark, sort of like a, a monster that you don't see, right, Is uh, is just as frightening, or more so yeah um charlie i for this chapter i have something special for you for our listeners who have been listening for a long time um we're back to water watch uh water big theme of this chapter um and yeah so here we are back at it again full circle um so one of the main issues of this chapter as charlie mentioned is that water is scarce um there's actually a part in the beginning of the chapter where the characters don't have any water and uh, as I kind of mentioned before, water can be a symbol for many different things. One of the things that uh, water is often used to represent is um, uh, the unknown or change um, and it ties into life as well, because there's something, there's an element of uh, the unknown for life, right? Um, Jeff Goldblum famously, you know, summarized this in Jurassic Park, right? But but life has this, this unknown quality to it. Um, wait, wait, back up. What? Yeah.
0: wait, what? <laughs> When oh, did we didn't actually, actually talk photos? about water, but it's Jeff
1: Goldblum's line about life finding a way. Um,
0: oh, life finds a way.
1: Yeah. It was about dinosaurs, not so much orcs. But... Not so much water. <laughs> but okay, right. sure. Um, but no, so
0: uh, uh, water has this. But here's my analysis. Oh. I want to anal- analyze your Jeff Goldblum <laughs> analysis with my own Jeff Goldblum analysis uh, to quote the late Jeff Goldblum. Uh-huh. Did I say late Jeff Goldblum? <laughs> great Jeff Goldblum. Recipes. He is still with us. Um R.I.P. <laughs> That is one big pile of shit. <laughs> um, well, so... But in, continue. In this, <laughs> in, in
1: this part, um, they have entered into a, a space where there is doom, right? So their sense of hope is uh, is uh, lacking, right? So they don't mm. have hope. But it's more that they're, they really don't have any more unknowns here. They are just enacting their fate. And there's kind of an interesting part, too, where... They do find some water. So there is some life in Mordor. Um, right. But it's actually not enough. So the uh, terrestrial sort of life or source for hope isn't enough. And, and it actually says that Sam, you know, drinks water and he's not, it doesn't restore his hope. And then that's when he sees the star and there's something impermanent that has to be to restore their faith. So it's it's not something that, oh, just uh, life on earth. It's something that has to be Uh, impermanent that Mm -hmm. brings them back
0: yeah speaking of water as well uh it sort of reminds me of a line i highlighted here that i just want to pull out for us and bring it to everybody's attention when frodo talks about how this blind dark seems to be getting into my heart as i lay in prison sam i tried to remember the brandy wine, that's a river and woody end and the water running through the mill at hobbiton but i can't see them now Powerful line, I think, and yeah. uh, as someone who's going through some real, true, actual suffering, he cannot even see in his mind what those things are, and yet it's important to point out that he still keeps going with this. Right? He cannot actually even remember what he's doing it for, but he's still going to do it. Still going to do the right thing. Powerful, um, little tiny bit there.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I had marked that quote as well, just with a, a darkness setting uh, note on it because it's it's a great characterization of Mordor. Right. It's such a such a dark place that you can't even in your mind see things that bring joy. Um, Let's see. I have marked here. Oh, you know, this is kind of interesting to me. Um, I caught this on this read through. There is a point when uh, the Battle of the Pelennor Fields is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, where they notice that Sam notices. He says, look at it, Mr. Frodo, uh, in the sky, um, said Sam. Look at it. The wind's changed. Something's happening. He's not having it all his own way. His darkness is breaking up out in the world there. I wish I could see what is going on. Yeah. And then the paragraph immediately afterwards is, it was the morning of the 15th of March, and over the Vale of Anduin, the sun was rising above the eastern shadow, and the southwest wind was blowing. Théoden lay dying on the Pelennor fields. So I thought that like, this kind of weird right like there's yeah. um it's like oh the dark lord is not having it his own way um next paragraph because Theoden dies but actually like you know so you might think oh like that's actually bad because Theoden dying well he's a you know a king of men he was a good king and he you know his death is actually a bad thing like why was that why is that the dark lord not having things his own way mm-hmm. but like as we talked before Theoden is mortal, he's going to die anyway, but he chose a good death, yes, as opposed to like Denethor, right? His mirror, um, like you were talking about, theoden's death was a choice that he made, and he made a good choice.
0: And, yeah, in a sort of like physical, what happened in the universe thing, the witch king dies.
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, that's that. Sorry, yeah, I, yeah, I just thought just, that was obvious. Got, we got a that. <laughs> <Yeah, no, laughs> like, we gotta yeah, name that, like, uh, that's yeah, what yeah.
0: physically caused that, um reaction in the clouds. Uh yeah, and, and yet again this chapter describes Sauron as being full of doubt. This time it does um last well we mentioned last chapter that it said the same thing, and it was sort of ambiguous as to why. Uh, here there is a clearer reason for why uh that the, the book seems to sort of highlight for us um that you know everyone has looked in the Palantir and now that he's defeating him at the Palinor Fields, Sauron has good reason to start thinking he has the writ. Mm-hmm. Whereas like I said in the last chapter, because this is last chapter he would have known, timeline wise, chronology wise, Sauron would have known Aragorn showed himself in the Palantir, I believe, in the last chapter. But he would not have had the defeat at Pelennor yet. That defeat might start getting in his mind that Aragorn has the ring. And he's going to, you know, potentially take him down. But it's still—although, it is still interesting. I, I said last chapter it's kind of weird. He would doubt it. And I still think it's kind of weird. He must know. By the end of this chapter, Aragorn's men are marching out. They must be marching onto the Black Gate because Sauron's moving his forces to the Black Gate, too. Mm-hmm. That also means Sauron has a good sense of how many guys he has, and it's not that many. I mean, right? We know numbers-wise. Yeah, but he doesn't
1: know him. that he doesn't have the ring.
0: Right, and I guess it's just like, what does he imagine doing with it? I wonder. I don't. Know. I don't know. But it, it's an interesting dynamic there.
1: Yeah, like would it mean that the orcs would follow a new master or? Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, who knows? Okay. Other thing. Only other thing I had for this chapter to talk about is to me it's a big deal. I don't say have much to say on it. At least I don't think I do. But we'll it see. Is, <laughs> we'll see. It is, I think, the best part of Lord of the Rings. The best line in the book is here in this chapter. It's beautifully written. I think it is thematically important. And doing <clears throat> reading the book for this podcast has highlighted this line for me all the more. And it already was a favorite, right? Right. And now it's just above and beyond. So let's three, give it its
1: due. Let's let's should, yeah, let's yeah. chat.
0: To set up the stage here though, remember book four, go back and listen to our episodes on book four and particularly in the sort of second set of chapters, I think, there. Book four, the question of what endures, what lasts. Uh everything seems to be failing, everything seems to be ending, and book four doesn't have a good answer for us. We said last chapter here in book six. Sam's starting to get an answer, and he's, he's saying, well, the stars last, the sun lasts," And this is meant in a sort of less physical, astronomical sense, but in a metaphorical sense. Like this, the stars, whatever they represent, really is what lasts. And you get, though, the true final answer, the true climax here. Because I think to answer that, you have to know, what is it? like What is it that lasts, and what does that mean for us? What do we do with that knowledge?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So here's the line. Um, it's from Sam's point of view. And I think this line is so beautiful. I actually thought about, I was going to consider just like this episode of the podcast. It was just going to be, we're going to read this line and just put the episode up. 10 second episode. But it would be our best yet. It would be the best yet because you can't beat this. This is the best. Let's go ahead and read it. I've been putting this off. I'm still scared to read it. It's almost too good. I'm not going to do it justice, but I'll try. Far above the Efel Duath in the West, the night sky was still dim and pale. There, peeping among the cloud-rack above a dark tor high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land, and hope returned to him, for like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach." moment of silence for the line please
1: Excellent. yes for those of you at home please stop talking <laughs> shut up <laughs> be quiet um but yeah that's that line is often cited as one of the best yes. in the book and, and it's hard it to disagree
0: it's cliche it's it's gotta be one of the most famous lines in this book i think of the two lines i see quoted the most i think it's probably all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us and then this line here i mean I think one these ring are the two to find go. them all oh that's okay that's true, that's true. <laughs> um <laughs> but it really is in this elite company yeah. of if you had to probably boil down like the five most common lord of the rings quotes probably up there Oh, well, you know what else up there would be that all that is gold does not glitter line i see that everywhere yeah but i think Using that's like, often context yeah and yeah. that's
1: not not attributed to Tolkien really i mean yeah. like people just still i see it everywhere. Yeah. all right
0: but it doesn't matter um yeah but it, it's it's it deserves it so one this i think closes the loop of book four and it answers the question so there is light and high beauty that lasts light and high beauty lasts and your response to it is to hope to have hope uh your response to it also notices i i love the language here talking so careful with this the beauty of the star smote his heart yes i mean you know smiting is powerful it's like a physical blow almost right Mm-hmm. And then it it goes on. It's a shaft. The Starlight is a shaft. And it's cold. And it pierces Sam. There's this big, like, really physical kind of language with it. Sam's physically just defeated by this beauty. Even though it's a good thing, right? Like, and it gives him hope. Mm-hmm. But he's completely, I don't know, uh, subsumed it, by it. it, it it's uh, it's
1: not that he thought about it. It's like, yeah, you know what? You know, yeah. uh, this is really pretty. I think everything's going to be okay. It's that yeah. it... it had some overwhelming quality to it that uh acted on him, yeah um it wasn't him so so much observing it as it uh acting on yeah uh, acting it, on him
0: it's a very sort of sublime feeling I think he's getting at here, and by which I mean that sort of awesome and it's archaic definition, right, mm-hmm. sort of feeling just of complete you are nothing compared to this, and you can like feel it, and you know the lines right after describe Sam's reaction to this this feeling it's, it says his for a moment his own fate and even his masters cease to trouble him and that's powerful like on some level sam is saying i don't even care if this succeeds or not like it doesn't matter the shadow is a spawn passing thing something is out there light and high beauty is out there and it will never get there it's beyond its reach mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's tolkien's version of this sort of this too shall pass sort of sentiment but um but only about like this shadow right That like in just general all earthly things but they're light and high beauty light and high beauty does last yeah
1: and there's this very touching moment right afterwards where they wake together hand in hand and it's i like that it's there's two hobbits uh yeah uh sharing you know a fraternity and um like love for one another that is you know and and like we said this Mm -hmm. they. Partly cliche part, but it's just it's after being um, into this chapter so far with the like literal horror of Morador, um, yeah. uh, having just a hand-in-hand sort of, of love is just, uh, it's very powerful. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it, it is. It's This is the best. This is it. And uh, I think it's the true ultimate final message. Not the final message. I'm sorry. That applies. It's the last thing this book has to say, which is very much not. The book has so many more things to say. Yeah. But it's 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 the alt. Ulti- it, mm, it's the hmm. answer to that big question. It's the answer to the question. And and yeah, I, maybe I should just leave it at that. It's just, but it's so important. It's so fundamental. Uh, this yeah, this is uh, the best line in the book. It is my favorite line in the book. We're not gonna get any better than this. I think about this line. I feel like just all the time. It just comes to me sometimes. Light and high beauty, forever beyond its reach, just comes to me. I just love it. Yeah. Before we move on from it, let's also to circle back to the physical feeling of it, right? Uh, the the piercing and the shaft. Gotta think Tolkien may have had a sort of uh, crucifixion of Christ uh, mm-hmm. feeling here, At the very least. You know, I, I think that's another thing that in this reading of it for this podcast has been I've been more aware of. We've we've picked out so many like Christ metaphors. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I think. More so than when I read it normally.
1: And you know what's interesting is that, you know, as someone who is, uh, like, you could be reasonably described as an atheist, these mm-hmm. ideas are still relevant. Yeah, for sure. Right, you know, so, it, and we do, like, have, in sort of the academic community, rightly so, we have some, like, skepticism about Christianity's effect on the world. Um, mm-hmm. But a yeah. lot of these ideas are... Aspects of human uh, truth, right? Um, yeah, big time. And yeah. they have been, you know, through this reading, uh, I too have also like found them, you know, very uh, captivating.
0: Yeah. And I think, just let me say this too. I think, in no way, when we analyze this text and we pull out these Christian metaphors and themes, in no way is that an endorsement of religion. Right. In fact, yeah. we don't even mean them in any kind of religious way, more so in this sort of mythological thematic way right the themes and messages of the christian myth are these and they are used in this text over and over again that is not to say yeah. it's literary analysis not it's not say, like yes, oh this exactly is
1: evidence uh, that jesus was a man who walked on the <laughs> has uh, literally just, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nothing to do with that um, uh
0: no comment there just talk about the themes but yeah
1: yeah so anything else out of this chapter that that grabbed you any uh little things i've got a handful
0: i don't think I have any other little things, so I want to turn it over to you.
1: Sure. Um, then just a couple things I thought were int- Oh, one thing, uh, Gollum is alive. Uh, I don't know if we yep. mentioned that.
0: I did. Um, I just, I said it in summary.
1: Okay, cool. I, I tune yeah. out when whenever you're... Of course, sorry, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, don't blame me. You.
0: You're like my students. <laughs> I'm used to it. Trust me.
1: Um, so I liked the part where Frodo describes... Well, it's not exactly clear what he's describing. So Frodo says... Uh, and i'm so tired and the ring is so heavy sam and i begin to see it in my mind all the time like a great wheel of fire um and he uses that description the great wheel of fire two more times in this uh book actually um yeah. and this is the start of it which i love that's mm-hmm. a that's a very archaic sort of i mean we were talking about yeah. religion again but uh, a wheel of fire seems out of revelation maybe so um
0: uh it might be can i re- i didn't uh make too much of a note of this when i read it but i uh in the um lord of the rings reader's companion they noted that's a really common classical and uh medieval christian uh image uh so Mm -hmm. let let me just read what they said about it this is what they said i did not do any further research on it but here's what they said about it uh this image which recurs as frodo nears the end of his quest is also known in sorry excuse me is known also in classical and christian mythology as a symbol of hellish torture Perhaps its best known expression is in the Greek myth of Ixion, who for his attempted seduction of Hera was bound everlastingly to a fiery wheel. There you go. So you are absolutely right. Yeah. It's a yeah. uh, uh, very old image. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: um, yeah. And then the last thing I had was that, um, Frodo long, no longer has his sword. Um, so he yeah. gives the vial or the file rather, mm-hmm. um, to, uh, to Sam, um, because he says he has no place to put it um and no pockets i suppose um then he also gives him sting and he has a orc sword but um he says uh but sting i give to you uh i have got an orc blade but i do not think it'll be my part to strike any blow again Mm -hmm. so uh frodo significant lack of i don't don't know whether to call it agency or not because he's still going on the quest but he uh yeah, maybe it's a lack of agency because he he has no real choices to make. I mean, they make choices about how to best traverse the terrain, um but he knows what he has to do. He's just doing it. Um, yeah.
0: And he he's he's just become that ultimate martyr, right? He doesn't right. even know what he's he doesn't he is not doing this for himself in any way. He can't even remember the thing he's doing it for, but he's still doing the right thing. And he's even giving up things like weapons and he's saying I won't use these again. He's becoming that ultimate true pure sacrificial lamb mm-hmm. sort of figure.
1: Yep. Well, that's, that's all I've got.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I don't even need to read my favorite line. Do you have any oh, other lines? You know should what? Pick out? Uh,
1: I do have one more thing. Um, oh, go for while it. While we're on it, I, when I started reading this chapter, it occurred to me that last chapter, when we were talking about like Catabasis and, and going to the journey to the underworld that Sam made to rescue Frodo, um, it's interesting that they, in this journey to the underworld, um, they don't make it out uh, yet, right? So Sam does save Frodo from like a the darkest spot that Frodo had been in, right? So he, in you know mortal danger, right? But then they don't actually make it completely out of the underworld. They're back in Mordor, <laughs> um, and that so uh, mm. Frodo is saved by Sam, who is a mortal. But they are not yet out of it. There has to be yeah. something else that 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 ultimately brings them out of. of they're still condemned in some way. Got it. Okay. Yeah. 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 But that's all I got. So favorite line, obviously. I think we can both say this was our favorite line. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we gave it a stew.
0: We did. So. That being said then, so next chapter, this is crazy. Book six is structured so strangely. Next chapter, it's Mount Doom. Yeah. This is it. And you still have seven chapters after that. So uh, you will see what those are when we get there. But yeah, you are actually going to see the conclusion of the Ring uh, saga next chapter. Looking forward to it. We'll see you then.